So you're a huge fan of Atlanta United. And you want Dave to give you the latest insights to our tactics. Pineda, five in the back, are you kidding me? Or maybe you can't effing believe we signed Don Dwyer and you want to hear Mikey Dobbs rant about it. Well, you've come to the right place. I'm David Katz. And I'm Mike Dobbs. And this is the the ATL on Fire podcast. Welcome back, everybody. It is another episode of ATL on Fire, and I am joined by Dave Katz. How are you doing tonight, Dave? I'm doing well. How are you, Mikey Dobbs? I am great. I found an excuse to have a fire since it's uh, in the 50s. It's 58 degrees here in Atlanta. Is the fire behind us, Mikey Dobbs, or is it a fire within? There's a little of both. (laughs) It's a bit of a fire at Atlanta United right right now. All right. There's a lot to talk about. We're going to do... a two-game recap of the Charlotte loss on the road and the draw at home against Cincinnati when a draw feels like a loss, Dave. Uh, it, we got the inverse of it uh, last weekend. So we got a lot Fair. to talk about. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> we've got a lot of injuries to talk about. And injuries? What? But before we do that, uh, of course, let's talk some red wine. You brought another excellent bottle what are we yeah, drinking it's a it's a j lore it's a cabernet sauvignon from paso robles a little bit lesser known wine region from california um but still every bit is delicious not quite as usually the paso robles wines are maybe slightly less expensive than napa yeah um very rich full body i don't know what, yeah, what's your delicious. description yeah yeah it's Car- carmen you like it i approve i approve too thank you um so, Dave, I know um, you've got some things to get into here. To, I have something for you. Um, you know, usually it's you who reaches the end of the internet, but <laughs> um, in this case, I was reading, it wasn't the end of the internet, it was an article on soccernet.com um, about the fifth anniversary of VAR. Do you know that it's the fifth anniversary of VAR, Mikey Dobbs? Fifth in MLS. Uh, no, I think it's the fifth uh, the fifth anniversary of them introducing VAR period. It might be Premier League, but I think it's overall. Okay, like FIFA uh, approved? Yeah, okay. yeah, I didn't yeah. know that. It's only been around five years. It feels like forever. It does feel like forever. <laughs> and they still don't have it right. No. Uh, <laughs> who, do so, you, who do you think does it best? What league? I'm not sure, Mikey. Dobbs. I'm not sure either. Is there any league that does it well? I feel like the, if they combined somehow some of the things, I like the EPL where they do the red line. Yeah, to it's me, a little better. To me, that's a little better because it's whether you like it or not, It's I at least understand it. I'm like a goal-scoring part of the body uh, if it's in front of another. Yeah, and they've modified that because yeah. of the, the famous point Right where I can't remember who it was, but it was pointing to where they wanted the ball was his whole body was clearly a yard onside, and they called it offside because <laughs> of his finger. Um, yeah, we can't have that. But yeah, the the other stuff they use it for is too inconsistent, like handballs, etc. They still don't know how to even call what's a handball. So, in honor of the fifth anniversary of VAR, I have two trivia questions, and right. well, they're not really trivia, but um, <laughs> they're impo- they're not they're impossible trivia. <laughs> so. And one anecdote. They're really three anecdotes, Mikey Dobbs, but I just masquerading the first two as trivia. So anyway, in the Premier League, uh, what is the only known goal to be scored after the game was over? 
Oh, wow. After the game was over, and this is in during the Premier League era. Well, keep in mind, the theme is VAR. <laughs> yeah. So it's probably going to be involved somehow. I, I, you know, I just don't even know that I have a good guess it's here. It's 2020. 2020. So it's not that long ago. Yeah. I don't know, man. All right. Manchester United versus Brighton. Should have guessed it was a Man U game. The ref blew the whistle after the final corner, only to have VAR suggest a review for a handball, which was subsequently awarded as the players were leaving the field. They came back on the field. Bruno Fernandes converted the penalty kick for Manchester to win 3-2 to two after Brighton had equalized 90 seconds earlier. Wow. <laughs> the only goal ever to be scored after the referee blew the final whistle, Mikey Dobbs. That doesn't seem like a good uh, precedent to set, like, especially if people have left the field. It's not good. <laughs> All right. All right um, what else you got? Also Premier League. Uh, who is the only player to ever be awarded two red cards in a single match but not sent off? Two red cards in the same match and not be sent off. I would imagine it would have to be like somebody who's uh, popular because I could only see the ref making an oversight like that for somebody who's a top player. So let's go with Wayne Rooney. No, this is all again VAR, right? So oh, I mean, VAR. I don't Sorry, even did, yeah. did Rooney even play in the VAR era? No, I don't think so. No, ma- so. Ma- in the MLS, he did for probably DC, oh, yeah, DC maybe, United, yeah. right? Not exactly. for not for. So let's go with. Um, Boy, I'll give you a hint. It was a player for Liverpool. Ooh, so let's go uh, Mo Salah then. No, it was Alisson. Okay. <laughs> Who was twice red carded, first for a high boot on a challenge, um, which was subsequently converted to a yellow card after the VAR review. And then subsequently, in the dying moments of the match, he went to punch the ball out of the box and punched another player in the head. He was awarded a second yellow, which was a second red, but VAR again reviewed it and decided that he had made contact with the ball first, downgraded it away from a yellow, and he was allowed to remain in the game for the second time after receiving a red. There, Go to YouTube, people. Let's, let's <laughs> check Dave's facts here. I don't believe it. Okay, um, but here's, here's are you ready for this? This is yeah. the moment, Mikey Dows, right? This is it. The worst ever VAR situation <laughs> ever. This is not a trivia question. This is just an anecdote. It's just an opinion. I have to set the stage here, right? This is Bolivia, and there's two teams playing. One is called Always Ready, which is a great name for a team. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the second is Bolivar. Um, so Always Ready was trailing one nothing. In the 94th minute, Mikey Dowd, so everything was on the line. Great rivalry, okay? There was a clash in the box. Two players, there was a cross, two players collided, blah, 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 blah. All the players surrounded the referee and said, that should be a penalty kick. The referee was very calm and collected, was kind of saying, no, whatever. Yep. Eventually, the referee decided to consult VAR. Okay. Okay, so the referee... Walks over to the side of the field to consult the VAR. Spends some time over the side of the field watching the VAR. Okay. Comes out and signals for a penalty kick. Okay. You can imagine highly controversial because that would allow them to tie the game. 
It got even more controversial when the always, uh, no, sorry, when the Bolivar coach went absolutely ballistic and almost punched the referee, right. yelling that Bolivia doesn't have VAR. It doesn't exist. <laughs> he says we don't have it in the league. To which the referee panics, points to his ear and says, oh, somebody told me in my ear and still awards the penalty. So why would they have the technology on the field? No, there was no okay. technology. The oh. referee had come from other games that where they had VAR had sort of assumed there was VAR, even I though there wasn't VAR in the it. league anymore, went over to the side, pretended like there might be VAR, and thought about it, and decided to award the penalty based on a VAR that didn't exist. Okay. So, yeah, you were making me believe he went over to the screen, right? Which well, he went over to something he stared at the <laughs> side for a while. <laughs> well, that had to have been good. What was he like? Over in the, uh, you know, one of the, the training areas looking at, you know, one of the medical kits or something like that. So it has to be the only VAR-awarded game-tining penalty that was awarded without actually there being VAR. Yeah. So and did, they converted the penalty kick to Taiwan 1. So what do you think, if you had to change one thing that they're outside of actually having VAR and using it when it actually exists, what would be the one thing you would change <laughs> about the way that they're using VAR right now? Like, what would you take away? Because I think the offside thing is a, a great use of it. Um, again, in or out, did the ball cross the line? Is somebody offsides or not? Like, these are very measurable things. The stuff that is still subjective, I think that the referee should be in charge of. Yeah, um... I don't know. I don't really have such a strong opinion. What do you think? I think exactly what I said. That's it? I, I think that's it. I mean, just, just allow a little more discretion just for the referee yeah. and not be so. Yeah, and I think a lot of the like egregious stuff, if it's like a really bad tackle or somebody does something malicious that uh, you could use it post facto and put big fines in and punishment. If somebody did something nasty, don't slow the game down unless if the ref didn't catch it himself. I find, you know, you know, circling back to the MLS, that where VAR has been the worst um, is is when refereeing in the MLS has been the worst, where they are enforcing the letter of the law and not the spirit of the law. So something will happen. A lot of times it's been a handball, um, you know, which was totally unintentional, not really blocking a goal, not doing anything, and somebody saw it on VAR. Nobody even cared about it on either teams. Nobody would even know about it on either teams, and it comes back and right. there's a penalty or something like that. So one of the things I was uh, listening to on, I don't know if it was uh, one of the soccer shows out there that isn't quite as good as ATL on fire, but they're talking about uh, FIFA maybe changing some of the rules to stop the clock so that there's actually more minutes played and mm. to try to, um, you know, reduce some of the stalling tactics and things like that. So a little bit more like college soccer, right? When it goes out of bounds or there's a stoppage of play, the, you know, the ref kind of does a little crossing yeah. and they stop the clock. So I don't know what that would do at the end of the game that builds the drama. You know, part of it's trying to get rid of the, totally you know weird is it four minutes or eight minutes that get added to the end of the game and it, that doesn't seem very fair a lot of the times yeah no i mean i i don't disagree with that um i guess my my bigger concern is you know 
what stops games from really just being killed by players just going down, faking injuries? Like, what is a referee to do about that? So I have a really strong opinion when it's not a clear uh, indate, like the player's not seriously injured, right? Like they have a cramp. Yep. Um, they don't have a head injury. Right. You bring a stretcher out, you drag them off the field, and you continue play. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think I... I I was wondering, I mean, some people have even proposed, um, you know, certain penalties and that, like, for example, if you are stretchered off the field in injury time, that you would either have to remain off the field for the remainder of the game or um, for the final, you know, two minutes or something. So basically to try and disincentivize the because even when a guy goes down and gets hauled off on the stretcher and pulls off it kills the momentum of the game you you lose that you know too many times i find you know in premier league mls in the end of the game when one team's down a goal and there should be a lot of drama you know people pushing in the box will he score not score instead of that you have stoppages whistles no fluidity to the game i don't think you're going to be able to stop that right because so long as there's humans on the field there's going to be that tactical thing to go to the ground but what they should do is right you if you're going to do that right and slow the momentum down Mm -hmm. you have to go off the field for x like two minutes or something like there Mm -hmm. has to be you can't just go off and then run back on right you your team has to suffer playing a man, man down for x amount of time right, right. so that you're clear, cleared to be healthy and can go back on the field but yeah. also in that process your team um you know lacks lacks your ability to play on the field there's already a sideline referee so you know if the head ref were to you know signal something that he felt that it was not necessarily above board then he could you know signal to the whole crowd and whatever and that could indicate that the player had to remain off for x amount of time yeah. and the sideline referee could enforce that Is he, but i don't like anything like that that's subjective Select the penalty box it's, 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 you never want to put like a ref in charge yeah. of like what yeah. what the what his feeling was uh-huh. on it well that's it's, what i was saying maybe if you had a rule that if you were down and had to be stretched off no matter what in injury time you have to remain off because honestly, well, it's not a huge... Let's say there was a player who was legitimately injured. Yeah. You know, it's not huge to be down a man for injury time, right? Yeah, it also seems probably. a little unfair if there's like eight minutes of, eight minutes of stoppage time. Yeah. And you go down with a legitimate nick yep. in the first minute of extra time that you're out the entire eight. But having a rule where you're out for four... You know, and then you can sub back in, I think. But to be honest, if you are and injured enough to have to be stretchered off the field, then you probably shouldn't be healthy enough to really well, contribute to your team no, in the I, injury time. It's suddenly miraculously better. Here's where I disagree. Cramps are a huge thing at the end of the game. And sure. They're, and they're legitimate. Yep. Right? And so you got to go off the field. But okay. You got to get stretched out and, you know, do some stretches for four minutes and then you can sub back on. I don't know. That's just my opinion. One, yep. man, one man's opinion. Okay. But uh, we've got Atlanta United to talk about. Okay. Um, before we get into the game recaps, we, you know, we're definitely suffering um, some major injuries. <laughs> uh, we lost Alonzo uh, to an ACL injury, uh, what, three games ago at this point? Yep. And he is out for the season. Yep. He is probably played his last game too, given his age, right? Yeah, he's thirty six. So, um, you know, you figure a year 
out so he's definitely at least 37 and then usually after they come back it takes six months um to even for a really healthy young yeah. player to even get back to form so you're talking about he's got to be going on towards 38 even if he tries to do it and for a player who's 36 at the injury um it doesn't look good yeah and another one that doesn't look good is it was really sad obviously yeah. in the cincinnati game Last Saturday to see Brad Guzan go down with a ruptured Achilles tendon at age 37. Um, and, you know, he's nearly 38. I think, you know, you're, again, really talking about full form. He's going to be ne- nearing 39 years of age. Yep. That's not happening. Unfortunately, I don't think we're going to see Brad Guzan play again unless it's more of a ceremonial moment for him to come back. But I don't think a lot of people even appreciate probably how hard Brad Guzan must work at his age mm-hmm. to be playing at the level he's playing. That guy probably busts it in the gym and works about as hard as anyone, I would imagine. Yep. So for him to come back from an injury that is difficult for a 22-year-old to come back from with a ruptured Achilles, that's no joke type of injury. Uh, I sadly think we've seen the last of Brad Guzan. You know, when he was down on the field, you know, it was a back pass and he just went to run for it, right? And he went down. And as he's down, he was literally, I mean, the ball was 20 yards away from him and he was still like grabbing his heel and with his other hand reaching, like maybe he could still go get it. I mean, the heart on that guy, I mean, amazing. Yeah, it was tough to watch. Very Um, tough to watch. I agree. And then we have more bad news with Joseph Martinez who went to have another surgery. I think it's his fourth surgery, if I'm not mistaken, on his knee at this point. That is not good news. Nope. I know that Darren Eel said we hope to see him back by the end of May. I think that's being hopeful on a lot of fronts. Um, And by end of May, I would assume he means back in training, which doesn't necessarily mean back in games. And back in games doesn't mean back in full form. So we're talking about, in my mind anyway, best case scenario to see Joseph Martinez clicking again would be two months out. I don't know if your math is the same as mine on that, but I think that's a fair kind of runway if everything goes swimmingly. Unfortunately, I'm a pessimist when it comes to his knee right now, Mm -hmm. and I am very, very worried that we might not see the best or a lot of Joseph Martinez moving forward, period. Okay, I'm going to take the other side. Okay. Because uh, <laughs> we need that. We need somebody to take the other side. I mean, obviously, we're, you know, whenever it's an injury, we're totally speculating here. But, um, you know, so all he had was a scope to clean it out, right? Okay. Um, so every time you have, you know, um, a surgery like that, there's a little bit of scar tissue and other things that build up in there, and it starts to rub and aggravate you. And, you know, to be honest, they do that surgery. I know because I've had it, Mikey Dobbs. Uh, (laughs) um, uh, They do that surgery. I kid you not. Uh, I was talking to Dr. X, who's a really famous surgery, uh, a surgeon at Emory who does all kinds of surgeries. He did Rude Van Nisselroy's ACL. Um, is that Dr. X is and you're keeping his name anonymous or is that? No, it's, it's something Greek. It's like exogenous and it just goes by X. <laughs> oh, nice. That's a sweet name. <laughs> so that's actually his real name is Dr. Nice. X. Um, so <laughs> so um, he said that, you know, they, they do at Emory, um, you know, all kinds of different things, a lot of professional athletes, but they also do um, college football. 
And he said they, on many occasions, they have done a scope clean-out surgery for a college football player from UGA or Georgia Tech on Thursday, and they play Saturday. Wow. So. Well, there's hope then, Atlanta United fans. We could see the best of it. And in, when he did Martinez. my surgery, I wasn't under full anesthesia. Um, and to his chagrin, he was not happy with me. He walked out, and I thought we were done. I got off the table and walked out. And he's like, no, you shouldn't be. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Good. I love uh, a little bit of sunshine on the king there. Yeah. So, Brad Guzan being out leaves us our second string goalkeeper, uh, Bobby Shuttleworth. Shuttleworth. So... What do you think that a lifetime MLS or is he? Okay. I don't know much about him. And so do you think that Atlanta United right now is um, scrambling right now to find his replacement? There's a lot of stuff on Twitter that could be true or not in terms of, you know, talking about, was it Ethan Horvath Mm -hmm. Um, trying to figure out, you know, someone like that, that we could bring in, whether it's on loan. um, How do we make that work? uh, You know, this season, to get so Shuttleworth has legitimate MLS experience. Um, I, I give all my credit to my son who came in and said, do you know what where Shuttleworth came from? And I said, no. <laughs> and he said, you know, so he, um, I guess, got his start for New England. And then um, he went to Minnesota. And he was their starting goalkeeper okay. for that inaugural team. So I believe when we went won in the snow in that very first game, right. he was the starting goalkeeper for Minnesota in that game, I believe. So is that supposed to make me feel good? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't Joseph, Joseph Martinez put on a clinic? Yes, he did. Yeah, well, it was Joseph Martinez in his prime. So, yeah. um, okay. <laughs> but anyway, he's a legit starter in the MLS. Yeah. So, yeah, do you think they're, they're looking for a replacement? Would you, or would you put your apples somewhere else? I'd look for a replacement. I, I, I have a um, pie-in-the-sky, pipe dream kind of player okay you want me to throw it out there yeah let's hear it for um, for goalkeeper or another for goalkeeper all right all right zach Steffen. so there was there was a lot of talk on that on the the interwebs of do you Twitter. want to hear my my rationale well i know the rationale right? right so here's the rationale it makes all the sense in the world right zach Steffen would get off the bench at man city get playing time how do you pay him how do you pay manchester city to, to even make that work I, again, we've got to figure that out. That answer is easy. Game and Tam? No, that answer is you don't. You take him on loan. Okay. So well, Manchester that's... City is done with the season, or maybe even if they're like, look, we got to have a backup through the end of the um, season for, um, uh, you know, for um, uh, Ederson, right? Because, you know, he's, if he gets hurt, we need to have yeah. someone for the Champions League final and blah, 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 blah. Um, so he finishes the season. They only have five games left in the season plus the Champions League final. And then he comes here on loan. He can still get a lot of action to get him back in form for the World Cup. Yeah. And he's just on loan. And do you think, I mean, he's going to have to probably take a salary cut to do that, right? But do you think no, that's... No, because Man City would continue to pay him on loan. That's the okay. whole point, right? right? So we would pay them probably a little bit of a fee, yeah. but they would continue to pay him, and they just loan him out and say, look, go at it. You haven't had game action. You know, go have some fun. If that can work within the constructs of uh, MLS salary and other shenanigans that I may not know about... The which... problem I have is um, yes. the Champions League final. 
So if they get to the Champions League final and they want to keep him for that, there's always like I don't think they week. want him after that last game. I know, but <laughs> there's a two week break, and so that goes really far into it. If they don't, if they lose in the semi final to Real Madrid, then the Premier League season honestly is going to be clinched. Right, they they're probably going to clinch. Well, maybe it goes down to the wire with Liverpool. So I, yeah. I mean, who knows? But um, as soon as that is clinched, either way, they win the title or Liverpool clinches. Right, then boom, they go on loan. Yeah. So it could be a matter of weeks. So the other conspiracy theory I have in the goalkeeping front is, Dave, don't you find it odd within the month of April, within basically a two week span, that two goalkeepers on the Atlanta United roster. Uh, what's its name, uh, Dylan Castellaneria or something like that, who's our third stringer, he ruptured his Achilles tendon only like three weeks ago. What? I don't know. We maybe need to call in a physio or something like this. You know, you and I have played soccer. It doesn't seem like any training that I can think of would put my Achilles heel at more stress to make it rupture than, you know, I mean, you're obviously stopping and going a ton in soccer. I don't know if there's any exercises that the goalkeeper coach is putting in place that would do anything, but, I mean, isn't that a little weird? I mean, it's a little well, weird. Well, it's not so weird because the goalkeeper coach apparently loves to train them in Area 54 in Colorado where the UFO went down. Oh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Talking about I'm not saying there's. I'm not saying there's aliens. No, no, no. But I, there's aliens. I think it's a really good point. Um, you know, that's a really weird thing to happen to two goalkeepers. And you know, we know from a, for a fact. You know, under um, Heinze, the overtraining is crazy. You know, yeah. and so um, the team doesn't look overtrained at all. But you can have a weird one-off goalkeeper situation where they're overtraining them, and, yeah. and that is something that was odd. Yeah. It's odd. It's odd. And then, uh, you know, we've had a lot of hammy injuries. Another one is Rosetto. Um, He's out with a hammy injury, right? We've got right. Uh, two players coming back. from. We've had hamstring after hamstring right. after hamstring. So we've got a, um, I think a, a, that Ibarra doesn't necessarily. From a hammy, Luis Araujo. It doesn't necessarily speak to overtraining, but it actually <clears throat> speaks to them not. There are certain preventative things that you can do, um, you know, calisthenic-wise, stretching-wise, that often helps to prevent those injuries, and maybe we're not doing that. So I don't know if you saw as well um, in the trades, Atlanta United uh, scout Jonathan Spector is currently in Mallorca scouting mm -hmm. Matthew Hoppy mm -hmm. as a potential. So it sounds like us and some other teams are interested in him. What do you think of that, and why uh, are we trying to bring him in? Is that like a Jake Mulraney type of swapperoo, or are you, are you thinking they're going to uh, bring him in as a striker? Well, that's the thing. So, so um, he – he it strikes me as an odd rumor. I mean, it's a real thing because clearly Jonathan Spector is over there watching him, and he is our European scout. Mm -hmm. um, Jonathan Spector is a U.S. Um, player, but he spent a lot of his career in Europe, <clears throat> beginning with Manchester United, actually. Um, but um, so I think it's a legit, you know, thing. The problem I have is Hoppy's not coming here as a young U.S. international to be a backup. Right. Yeah. So um, you either have to say, look, we think Martinez is never going to be yeah. right. Or you have to say that um, why else would he come here? Because 
I don't really see us as likely going to two strikers, not with when you have, um, you know, Mama, not yeah. when you have players like Almada and Araujo and Moreno behind. There's no room for a second striker. Yeah. And so some of the speculations we would get rid of Moreno, which I think is crazy. I've talked yeah. about it online. I, you know, a lot of people are down on Moreno, which I don't. What? <laughs> But we can get to the actually. I was. Uh, we can talk about it now if you want, or we can talk about it in the context of the Cincinnati game. I have some comments about us not necessarily using Moreno or how we're going to use Moreno. Yeah, I, I still don't know where Matthew Hoppy would fit in, though. Like, I don't. I I think that it's. A, I like him as a player. He's a good young player. Yeah, I, he's creative. He's. Um, in addition to being good on the dribble, he's not afraid to throw himself in, in a ball at the box. You yeah. know, he's a good player. Yeah, he's got a little chip on his shoulder, uh-huh. a little ego. He puts people uh-huh. on their heels. Yep. I love him. I just don't know where he, he, he – again, somebody's got to go, I would think, too, to pay the salary, even though he's, you know, he'd be a under under 22 initiative uh, eligible player. Yep. Where we can pay him a little more at, at that point. Level, I guess, is how that works. I don't know. Um, but I think if I had to guess, and this is just a guess, um, that it is a contingency plan for three, four weeks from now if they suddenly look at Joseph Martinez and they say, uh-uh, the, the scope didn't actually clean it out. He's still experiencing pain. He has to go on season-long injury reserve, and we need a, a full-time player. I think that's what that is. Yeah, I, I agree. And, again, that's where I think while I want to believe Joseph Martinez will recover, I think even the front office knows uh, the stats on that and are playing a little bit of backup. So Yeah, it's always good to have a plan B, Mikey Dobbs. It is, but it's hard. We never have a plan but, B. But it's, we, we don't. We just wing it. And Yeah. Okay. But uh, all right, what else? Any, anything else player-wise before we get into maybe the Charlotte loss uh, on the road, what, which was what, two weeks ago? No, I think we covered it all. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, um, Araujo back, awesome. Yeah. Emerson Heinemann back. It's great to see him yeah. still being alive. And apparently Franco Barra is back too from a hammy injury or at least available. Yeah, he looks so, pretty good. So in general, we actually have a lot of players back. Um, yep. So look, looking good there. Brad and Joseph Martinez and Alonzo are definitely are, are I like punches. Ibarra as a um, when you go on the road and you need a second defensive midfielder in sitting in front of a Sosa yeah. and you want to go basically just shut people down. He's got a mean streak that yeah. one, and um, it's a good thing. Yeah, like, like he's young, but he and you kind of think that, like, oh, but he's you know he is a he's an all in hard on the sleeve yeah. kind of guy. He he and Sosa together make a good uh-huh. kind of put it to a match. Uh, so we lost. Sosa's kind of like the uh, the champagne of that player, and Ibarra is a little bit like the champagne beer of that player. The, the, the high life, yeah, <laughs> like the, exactly. the, the, the high life. Of, yeah. Uh, so we lost to Charlotte. That was disappointing. Uh, Dave, Did we really? I, Dave, I was on a Disney cruise on like. How Cap- is that possible? Aren't they an expansion side? Like I know. Dave? I don't know how it's possible that we barely beat them one nothing the first matchup, but then we go to Charlotte, and I have to manage- say, if you go back to the clips, I said that 
I really didn't think that Charlotte looked like a terrific side. The players I just didn't think were up to snuff. Mm -hmm. um, they have added two players since then, and they're both good. But the one thing I said is that I thought the coaching was really good. And I thought in this game, the coaching is even better. That guy can coach. Why didn't we get him? <laughs> I mean, man. We'll have to get to Pineda at some point in this podcast. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, Again, I was just saying I didn't watch the game. I was on vacation mm -hmm. uh, enjoying the Bahamas and only was able to watch the highlights. Um, I could only glean a few things from the highlights. So I'm going to let you riff. One of the things, uh, which was my observation, was A, your last rant in the last podcast about our corner kicks is still an issue <laughs> with us getting scored on an Olympico. I know you've got some quotes from Brad Well, Guzan. let's just say it right now. Yeah, let's do it. Um, Brad Guzan after the game uh, about the corner kick. They took it well, got caught in the wind. I got caught on the front foot, and it went in the top corner. The way we defend corners is zonal, Mikey Dobbs, is mm -hmm. what he says. It's not unheard of to, for teams to put uh, – it's not unheard of for teams to put in and around the goalkeeper. Yeah. Well, first <laughs> off, yeah, he would he'd be the first to admit it was a shambolic goal to give up. He he stepped, and yeah. at that point, yeah, the, you you did see the ball get some momentum from wind or just a good curling cross. And Brad, I think, got some fingers on it. But at that, it point, was the first time to me that he looked really old. Yeah. So. Mm. Yeah, he, he was that half a step behind. I agree. It didn't look good. Um, it was just foreshadowing, Mikey Dobbs. Mm. Foreshadowing. So, like some kind of Stephen King thing. Then the rest, of, the rest <laughs> of the game, I again only watching the highlights. Almada again looked like the class, the only one that I would say, oh, that guy looks pretty good on the field for Atlanta. The guy who I said in our podcast intro, why did we sign Dom Dwyer? That was the perfect example of why did we sign Dom Dwyer? Uh, Almada slotted him a couple times. One, he's off sides. We'll get to it in a second. Uh, the other. Uh, he should have scored, didn't even put it on goal. Uh, so, over you want to hear what I had on my notes? Yeah, let's, let's dive into maybe some wrote, highlights too. At least Pineda brought off the worst two players, Sadik and Dwyer. Yeah. <laughs> they were the first two to come off the field. Sadik, um, let's just say he's awful offensively. He never really makes great passes forward. He often slows up the, the counterattacks to play a sideball. And yep. he's awful defensively. He's Almost always out of position. He fails to track. And when he goes into tackles, he's pretty reckless. soft. He's reckless, too. When right? He, does, yeah, it's he looks completely out of place. Multiple times he's given up the ball in bad situations, not just by making a bad pass, by even trying to do the wrong thing. I don't know if you recall, I always point out, New York City FC last year at home, the game that cost us the home playoff game, we, are, yeah, I remember we gave up the tying goal with... I don't know, three minutes left. He's dribbling on the top of the 18, and he tries to play a delicate pass through two guys. Just put your boot through it. Yep. Anywhere will do, Mikey Dobbs. He's one of my least favorite players on the team, and that's no, I, I, nothing against him, but just it's hard to watch. He looks completely out of place and should be sold. It's the first time I've ever said that about an Atlanta United yeah. player. Well, there, there we have it. And... Uh, I don't know. What else do you have to say about the game? You want to walk through some highlights? That uh, Yeah, the only thing up? I'll do before we jump to the highlights is that um, Sosa, um, class. I mean, his ability 
to pick out the right pass, even when it's simple. Um, and then there's a play in the second game that we may or may not get to where um, we got a great chance where everybody thought he was going this way. The coaches are always, it came from that way, it should go that way. And he was like, nope, I'm going to reverse it right back to the to the to where it just came from. And he slipped in a beautiful pass. I mean, the guy is yeah, champagne of football, Mikey Douglas. Yeah, it's good to see him back. Uh, Love him. Hopefully he will continue to play well. Uh, I, I have some – I want to get into our back line and talk about George Campbell and Franco. Okay. We'll, we'll table that. But what else in the Charlotte game? Well, I should say that that um, on the um, – on the um, I read the article on the, uh, Sports Nation South. Okay. What's it called? Um, and they, they had the player ratings, right? And what they said about Alan Franco, which I thought was really an astute point, right? So he played an hour. They said he played an hour and honestly didn't have much to do. He was only involved in one duel as the center back in a back three, which makes one wonder whether Atlanta shouldn't couldn't have just dealt with Charlotte's two forwards by playing four. There you go. I could not agree more. There you go. Dirty okay. is that Dirty South soccer? Yeah, Dirty yeah. South as well. Well done, boys. Thank you, gals. Yep. Well done. I agree with it. So now <laughs> we will go here. The fa- your favorite player on the highlights, right? So um, three minutes into the game. Um, speaking of the back, we've been a little bit critical of George Campbell. Um, because his outlet ball, sometimes he gives the ball away. Pretty atrocious in Cincinnati, but I'll, I'll hold off. But in this case, in the third minute of the game, he plays an absolutely beautiful split-the-line pass to Moreno. So I'll just set the scene. He's got the ball in the middle of the field. He plays a split ball pass to Moreno, who runs at the back four and slips it in behind, right, to Dom Dwyer, who is, of course... Dom Dwyer. And offsides. Yeah, he was offside. <laughs> he didn't get called for it. It, did, it doesn't, doesn't was, take if, away if from two. He games. missed the goal, so they didn't even bother to review it. Exactly. Like, ah, <laughs> but they would have, and it would have come back. But yeah, that that was, I think, what Atlanta United fans want to see. More direct type of soccer, right? Here it is. Boom. Direct ball straight up the gut. And then another direct ball. Moreno, maybe, maybe a little late on the pass. Um, a but, slightly under hit, but a beautiful pass nonetheless. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and we we saw one later from Almada to him as well that uh, Dwyer could not. Yeah, I think that's where we're going. His job. Let's go there. Let's go there. Second minute. So what's going to happen is Dom Dwyer is actually going to do a beautiful job of doing something that he's really good at. He checks for a throw and he holds off the defender with his back. He helps us to get possession. We're in the the attacking third over on the outside of the right at the top of the 18 on the left side. He holds up the ball absolutely beautifully. Cuts it. And not even on goal. So the ball goes, he plays to Almada who slips in an absolute beautiful ball. Now, if you pause it for a second right there, right? So Almada's going to get the ball, and there's two guys on him. He's under a ton of pressure. Don Dwyer's like, uh, how can I help you? And um, Almada, with the beautiful vision, and this is what I tell my players all the time. Sometimes, if you don't know where to go, if you have ability to slip it through, slip it through anyway. If you lay a ball delicately into that space, sometimes your player will just be the first guy to react. And I think that's what happens here, because Don Dwyer should have been making a run. He's not. Um, but after Almada plays a 
delicate, gorgeous ball slipped into the yeah. box. Dwyer's like, oh, I can get on the on the end of that. He runs by his defender, gets on it first, his favorite left foot, and where does he hit it? Not even on the frame. Not just not on the frame, Mikey Dobbs, for a throw-in. He shoots it at the six-yard box. No, it's not a throw-in. It does. I swear to God, it's not on the highlight clip, but no, it went for a throw-in. not a throw-in. I <laughs> promise you. You want to you make a bet? I have it recorded at home. I will send it to you. All right. It goes all the that, way out that, for a throw-in, people. That angle must. I have couldn't had believe some it because it looked. Yeah, it had some. Yeah. It had some really curve on it. Looks yeah. like it's going out, but it curved right. and made it all the way out for a throw-in. Um, yeah. Okay. Why did we sign Dom Dwyer? I don't know. Well, Do what? Know? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We signed the other guy, Cisneros. 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 I don't know how to pronounce it, but that's how you spell it. Who, yeah. Who started uh, in the Cincy game. All right. What else in the um, Charlotte game? Yeah. Finally, in the in the 25th minute, um, there's an amazing quick free kick. Almada, again, is so quick thinking. So there's a foul. And he just walks up to the ball, puts it down, and plays it out to Gutman, who's wide open and walks straight in on goal um, and has the shot saved. Um Gutman seems like he's got some problems finishing. Maybe. <laughs> That's there's a, a foul right here. He puts it down. Beautiful ball. And Gutman's wide up. And he goes right in on goal. Hits a good ball. It's just a good save. To be fair, that's probably why he's a good defender. I, To be honest... Um, you know, sometimes with Bello, you got the impression that he just didn't know what he was going to do when he was up there. I don't get that impression that's with a little bit Gutman. Of a, that's a little bit of a Bello type of strike, in my opinion. Just, yeah, good, clean contact. I but think he's classier than that. But All right. we'll, time will tell. I might have to eat my words. Yeah, well, that... So, that's- yeah, I'll, I'll put a bet on that. I say um, Gutman scores in the next few games. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go against that. I'm looking for consistency for the. I say Gutman consistently the, scores probably two or three by the end of the season. Okay, all right. It's on the record, people. So that's the Charlotte game. Uh, over, getting bolder and bolder, Mikey Dobbs. Overall, you know, and again, I can only judge from the highlights and the stats. It clearly seemed like we are the dominant team, the team with more talent, and the team that couldn't get it done. Not so different than the Cincinnati game. Yeah, expected goals. The final was 1.34 for Atlanta, 0.9 for Charlotte. So the computer agrees with you, Mikey Dobbs. Okay. Um, anything else you want to touch on on the uh, the Charlotte game? Um, or did we talk Why about is it? Dom Dwyer flopping all over the place? Well, I didn't. For a guy his size, it's embarrassing. he's huge and he runs into people and he kicks people i don't know if you remember last season or uh at the beginning of the season right where he got red carded in like yeah the first three minutes kicking the guy you know we talked about it super late and whatever he goes in super hard and then anybody touches him he goes down Mm -hmm. i'm like if you're gonna be super hard and foul people really badly you gotta be like okay good foul buddy well like i said i'm trying to do it both ways trying to like dom dwyer because he's on our team (laughs) <laughs> but I don't know why we signed him, Dave. Yeah, I know that's not your kind of player. You don't mind the guy who's vicious and kills somebody as long as they don't mind being killed themselves. Santiago Sosa. Yeah, okay. Yeah, he's a little bit of an assassin. Yeah. So, um, was able to uh, get some tickets last minute to the Cincinnati game. 
uh, an awesome Saturday event. That's good because we definitely didn't want you sitting next to us. No, you did not. No, I'm just kidding, Mikey Dobbs. Who who did you? Yeah, who did you enjoy the seats with? Uh, Uh, The Sullivans. Oh, the Sullivans. That's right. Um, That's great. Magic. Yeah, and a, and so we, we had some some lovely fancy seats I was telling you about, but they're still, Dave. I think you know, being in uh, a lovely suite, which I'm not going to turn down if somebody's going to give me free free tickets. So I was very fortunate to to go to the game. Even uh, we were agreeing that our seats, just the the way that you're able to to view the game, you get end to end action in our seats in terms of that that 50 yard mark of yeah. just seeing every part of the play. I think it really gives you a great vantage point. Yeah. I have to say, I love going to the games live. Um, you know, if you're not going out to the games live, you know, one of the things you can do live is you can watch what's happening, not on the ball. Mm-hmm. You know, so many times when you watch on TV, you really only follow the ball. Um, and so much of soccer is about what happens um, off the ball. Yeah. No, and that's what I love about that vantage point is y- you can get the proportions right on what's happening off the ball, and you really do see um, when people are doing good things and bad things off the ball. And yeah. it, be- it becomes really obvious. So uh, the Cincinnati game, uh, again, this was a draw that felt like a loss. Uh, what what was your overall perspective if you had to give a headline of that game or a summary of the game? What, what What's your takeaway? Um. I said, I wrote that the bottom line is that I don't think we have a way of playing that leads to a ton of chances. Pineda makes decent choices with the lineup, um, but I'm not sure about the tactics. Um, It seems like we're doing what everybody else is doing, and it's not really designed specifically for our team. We don't have an identity. We don't have a way of playing, and I can elaborate on that if you'd like, but um, that's that's my take. Yeah. And, you know, clearly, if you look at X, there was plenty of sitters, and we'll get to that, whether it's, you know, Gutman's opportunity or uh, a, a few others in the game where we clearly should have finished our opportunities in that game. And so I was just reading a, uh, a line from um, the AJC's article where we had outshot Cincinnati 22 to 9. So. But one of the things, you know, for example, I've been harping on, you know, why we send our outside backs just flying down the field. You know, Brooks Lennon um, and Gutman just, you know, automatically flying down the field no matter what. And I have problems that we've talked about. We don't need to go into it again. But but here's the thing, right? So sometimes, obviously, when you do that, they get open and it's good. And, and we've had some success. They've been wide open. And even Pineda was talking about how I loved how we used those spaces. That was the open spaces, okay? Here's my problem. And here's what I'm talking about, not an identity. So, like, in the sixth minute, Gutman gets the ball beautifully. He walks into the six-yard box and he slots the ball across. There's nobody there. Yeah. Right. He should have shot because you never should slot the ball from that spot unless you know for sure there's somebody right. there. But here's the problem. Again. Right. Lennon is swerving in beautiful balls. Like Gutman's getting down. I think that's where we're open. And the problem is there's only one guy in the box. It's Cisneros who doesn't look like he's the kind of guy who wants to go attack a ball in the box. He looks much more like a guy who wants to be played through and run through. So 
okay, great, we're getting all those guys. They're doing things that they're really good at, except for there's nobody designed to finish those plays. You know who should have finished that play is Gutman, which is what I was talking about in sure, the Charlotte but, game. But my which, point being that it, why have a system that tacks down the flanks to get crosses mostly, and then sometimes maybe you'll get all the way to goal, but mostly you're going to get yeah. crosses, when the team is not meant to finish crosses. I But I... Gutman is a professional at that point. He, there's no cross there. You put that on. Oh, on, I agree on, completely. Put that on the frame. But my, but you know, so what's our identity, right? So you talk Liverpool, you know that they like yep. to press. You talk Man City, they like to have lots of players interchanging, right? Um, some teams like to sit back and counter. When we were with Al Marone, his job was to be that guy and to lead breaks. We were trying to get out in the flow. Yep. What's our system? We're, we're, what's our what what is the thing what's our plan a do you think have we had enough consistency with who we want to start and finish the games to develop that identity do you think that's fair yet yes you do okay so if you were to say what should our identity be given the talent on the field because i do think we've had enough of you know, whether it's Ahmad on the field, Moreno, Martinez, you know, Eric Ujo has actually only played 42 minutes, which I didn't realize since I forgot how early. Yeah, he I got injured so quickly. Yeah, so he's only sure. played 42 minutes this season. Uh, Moreno is clearly, he's fighting something, right, in terms of some sort of. He had a toe, nagging na- toe injury is what Moreno, it was. Moreno, uh, uh, Martinez obviously had uh, cartilage issues in his, or needed something cleaned out of his knee. Sure. So... Uh, you know, there there are some health issues with you know people not clicking as well. So, but if you look at this team, right, where are the goals going to come from, right? The goals are going to come from Moreno, Almada, Araujo, who like to run at gaps, and there's also going to come off of them. So if yeah. they get in good spots, they're going to feed it to someone else who's going to have an absolute sitter, right? It's not going to come from pumping down the wings to um, Lennon and um, to Gutman, right? Those guys should be in support when we first plan A is to go through the middle with speed to Almada Moreno. And then later, if they are getting close, everybody cuts in on them. Now go to plan B, which is those outside guys. But what we're doing instead is plan A is those guys go forward. We use them. We often bypass those guys. We're also not um, really playing the ball out directly and quickly. We often settle for, for square balls. But I mean... I don't know. Shouldn't we have a little bit of optimism given Araujo's back? He's only played 42 minutes. Joseph Martinez didn't start a lot of the beginning games. We saw a lot of Tyler Wolf, right? Yep. Uh, at the beginning of the season. So there's been no ability for the team to gel. Amada, boy, I, I can't wait to see him in Araujo, like finally in Moreno, get a little bit more time on the field together. They just haven't had it, right? So shouldn't there be some optimism there? And and I don't know what this Cicernos guy can provide. And if they're doing their thing and he's the type of player that can have good movement up front and sneak behind, like you said, with a, a good run and Dom Dwyer, thankfully, isn't on the field, I'll take whatever. I, I don't know. Like, there's a little bit of optimism. And then, you know, Caleb Wiley, boy, how about that run in the Cincinnati game? Yeah. Uh, what I would say is I have optimism just because the players are so good. Yeah. Uh, I have really, really enjoyed the players. Um, Cisneros fits the system because, um, again, I think you want to be slipping balls through. He's the first backup striker we've ever had who has pace. 
He clearly looks like he really has pace. So yeah. if he gets behind someone, they're in danger. Um, and so what need, we need to be playing Man City football. Yeah. Right. And Man City football is it's an organization behind. Right. And it's totally interchanging up front. And when you lose the ball, you have a defensive midfielder who is first to, to react to make sure they don't make it easy. And you got our back four really up the field pressing to win it back. We have a back four that's good enough to do that in MLS. They can, Miles Robinson, Campbell, Gutman, they can all win the ball one on one at midfield. Right? They have enough pace to get in behind if they just kick it over the back. We need to have our back four up. We need to have much more interchanging, and it must, needs to be faster. So with Araujo back, are we not going to see Lennon up the field now, and we're going to see him playing fullback? Again, I think that— I like Ronald Hernandez. Yeah, the answer—I mean, they're down on Ronald Hernandez because he had a terrible, terrible game, but he had a terrible game because presumably somebody told him to pinch in, and if he was doing it that himself, then the answer is to say stop pinching in and go wide. And if they were telling him to pinch in, the answer is to stop telling him to pinch in, right? It's very simple. Because one-on-one is not a problem, right? It was just his positioning was so terrible. Yeah. So that, but it leaves me um, wanting because I like Hernandez to be on the field, and uh, I, I also am not a hater of Brooks Lennon. I think there's there's a lot he can offer in terms of productivity on the field. But uh, if I had to see somebody bench, it would be him in 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 the uh, situation where Hernandez plays. Um, well, I would love, as we've talked about. I would put Hernandez back. I would put Lennon out wide, and I would move Araujo out to his natural left-sided. I would get Moreno and Almada close to one another where they can interchange and run at the places with the two guys on the outside supporting it, and now you have balance. So, yeah, how how do you then position Almada and Moreno where they're not on top of each other in the center of the field? Because you have Sosa behind them. So you're saying that uh, Moreno kind of takes over for the Hazetu type of role? Yeah, what I would say is, I mean, my center midfield is Sosa's the only one sitting, yeah. and the two in front of him are Moreno and Almada with right. a free license to go anywhere right. in there. Okay, I like that. I like that a lot. And then Brooks Lennon is... Out wide on the right. Araujo out wide on the left. I mean, in the second game, in the Cincinnati game, we played, I don't know if you realize that, but we played with an unbalanced lineup. Yeah. Right? So we played with a left midfielder, but... And so Gutman wasn't as far forward. He was back, and we played with a left midfielder, but we played with no right midfielder. So Lennon was expected to get forward. And you know who was covering for him at right back? Sadish out of the center midfield. Do you remember when that didn't work for DeBoer? Yeah. (laughs) Right? That was the same exact tactics that didn't work. Why do coaches feel like, oh, I'm going to get my best players on the thing, and, you know, Lennon will have all that gap or whatever? I mean – simplicity at the end of the day simplicity Uh, the new manchester united coach ten Hag, who's the ix coach you know he's talked about one of them the key to all football is knowing when you're going forward what the guys in the back are doing with positioning so that the moment the ball turns over everybody knows their role and it's already the easy options are marked up i couldn't agree with it more like so much about Football is what are your offensive guys doing when you're on defense and what are your defensive guys doing when you're on offense? Because the moment the ball turns over, it's too late. Yeah. Right? You know, and, and you know, I don't understand 
um, you know, this idea, I mean, um, Glass had it the worst. He was like, Moreno needs to be further up the field. Barco needs to be further up the field. I'm like, uh-uh. They need to be 20 yards out when we win the ball so that they have the ball and have all day to run. Yeah. Put people on their back heels so they can't defend properly. You right. Get those early crosses. Those in. guys running in space is deadly. Yeah. Right. Um, we were at our best, you know, back in the Tata days with Al Marone running in space. So when I talk about a team identity, you know, that team was built around trying to get um, uh, Al Marone always running in space and then people running off yeah. of it. So teams like Liverpool, uh, right, or, or Man City, like you're kind of comparing like style. Mm-hmm. Um, not not quality, but the, the. I don't think we're like Liverpool at all, to be clear, and okay. I can explain why. But go ahead. No, but I, I guess what I was getting to in terms of systems that use inverted wingers, which mm. Pineda seems kind of hell bent on, right? Okay. I, I have no problem seeing Araujo play on the left and Lennon on the right. I actually love that idea because you know, as as a as a winger in, in my previous days, I, I you know I didn't mind cutting in from the right and shooting with my left foot, even though it's my weak foot. It mm-hmm. did, you know, you, you learn enough how to do that um, to be just as effective. So why, why do certain coaches go with the inverted winger and what systems in Europe, I guess that I'm getting to, cause I, I you probably pay more attention. Well, to you're again, the inverted winger. One of the ways it was originally conceived was one of the things about inverted wingers is they're going to tend to cut in on their, on their strong foot. Right? So yes, that means you can cut in and shoot, but in the rest of the field, they're still going to cut in. And one of the things that does, if your best attacking options are your overlapping fullbacks, a la Liverpool, who have fullbacks who just bomb down yeah. and are terrific. Alexander Arnold. Alexander Arnold is probably the best in the world at yeah. it. And then inverted wingers make sense because them coming in clears the space for it. Yeah. Right? So what you're saying in that situation is our two best players are our outside backs. So if you are looking at Atlanta United right now, and you say, all right, let's play Araujo inverted. Let's play as a left footer on the right. Let's play Almada as a right footer on the left. They're going to cut in. What you're saying to people is your best attacking options are Brooks, Lennon, and Gutman. And I don't agree with that. I think our best attacking options are Araujo and Almada. Yeah. All right, Pineda, you listening? Dave's talking. So, you know, the so what I would say is our t- the other thing about uh, uh, Liverpool – is that they have a whole front team. I'm talking uh, Mane and I'm talking about um, Salah, who are terrific players, but they also are not ego players. They are not superstar kind of... They came through, they're workmanlike, they're willing to track and hustle, whatever. So pressuring the ball is really their strength. So... In Liverpool, as soon as Klopp got Van Dyke and they were able to push the back four up the field and you didn't have an easy option because nobody can go around Van Dyke, he's the best defender in the world. Then as soon as you had that, you have Mane and um, Salah running all over, chasing people. They're turning the ball over. And now those guys who are not as good as, as, say, Real Madrid's players at breaking down people, they don't have to because they only have to beat one guy, right? Our team doesn't fit that mode at all so if you i mean it did a little bit under tata he wanted al Marone and even barco guys who love to chase 
Araujo, yeah, eh, Moreno, and eh, yeah. they'll chase, yeah. but Almada, those guys were built to be the center of attention. Yeah. They're used to running forward with the ball, and we're not going to be a great pressure team. Yeah, particularly Araujo. I mean, he's more of your definition of like a luxury player. He's phenomenal. We saw that in the first few minutes of the first game of the season. Yeah. But yeah, you don't expect him to be the guy who's like the workhorse on the field. Yeah, um, so in my opinion, get the back four up, create a block in the middle with the five guys, go to town on that, win the ball a lot back in the middle of the field, and let the front mama just be absolutely interchanging, interchanging and creative and try to create through the middle. So our modus operandi, if you will, our, our plan A should be as quick of a ball, as vertical as a ball as you can get to Moreno, Almada, or Araujo somewhere in the middle of the field. And those guys, when we're playing defensively, need to be in that space where there's a guy 20 yards out all the time. If our first pass is always to one of those three and they have 20 yards of space, we will win games. So there's a lot of optimism, I think, for a number of reasons, right? We're only a fifth of the way through the season, roughly, something like that. Yeah, it's very early. About a fifth How of the way. How many games have we played? Six or seven, right? We're in fourth place. What's our record? We're in, And we're in fourth place, right? So yeah. here's the thing. We've played terrible. We, haven't, we have not scored a goal in three games, Dave. <laughs> I know. We're, we're still in fourth place. We have players that are coming back from injuries. We've got some, some that are going out. Um None that I think aren't repairable um, with our ability to have the core team on the field. I think, yeah, yes, Martinez and Brad Guzan are, are big problems. But, again, to your point with Brad Guzan, we've got Bobby Shuttleworth or whomever that comes in. Hopefully it is uh, Zach Steffen. <laughs> you know, I would love to see that happen <laughs> on loan. Um, that would be phenomenal. If we do, if we do that, and I, here's the thing. I do think we are going, if we're going to have any sort of dream of MLS Cup, uh, the final MLS Cup this year, I do think we need that big splash goalkeeper. I think Brad Guzan leaves a gigantic gap in terms of leadership, even if he's lost a step, mm -hmm. and everybody would agree with that, mm -hmm. um, that his leadership is undeniable in terms of, I think, his presence probably in the locker room. And a little bit of maturity that's probably missing in some of the leadership of the team. And I, I think you can't discount that in terms of what we need to do to replace that. Because Joseph Martinez is also out and may not come back uh, to full form. So mm -hmm. who, who's that guy on the field that's carrying the torch? You're going to put that on Almada? I mean, who? No, uh, Sosa. Yeah. Okay. Sosa is clearly the leader on the field. I, I like that, but is, I don't know if that's enough. He's young, know. but he's. I'd put it on his shoulders. Okay, I'd ride that that, that I don't horse know, my, all the way to the championship. I, I, I think that's nice, but I don't think that's enough for an MLS Cup win. Mm. Okay. One of the things I'll say is, um, if Gutman and Lennon or Hernandez would stop bombing forward, which they're never going to do because Pineda thinks that's the the modern you know fullback role. If you look at our team. Our team is not built to have, you know, those guys bombing forward. Our team is built around the interchanging of Moreno, Almada, and Araujo. Right. Right. That has to be it. So if those guys would stay at home, occasionally get forward, 
right, to support or whatever. But if they would stay at home, and instead of every time we lose the ball, them having an easy option, they were now fighting with people to win the ball at midfield. We were getting it back and giving it back to um, uh, Araujo, back to Moreno, back to Almada. It would be relentless. We would have control of the whole game. Those guys, to be honest, they don't need Gutman and Lennon forward that much. Right. Okay. I agree. And the thing is, that's my point. We haven't really seen, other than the Cincinnati game there towards the end, those three have not been on the field together. I mean, there were times that we talked in the Tata era that all he was doing was making the, the back four sort of just good enough and simple enough and just let the front players play. Right, and in those cases, it was Villalba and Martinez and um, Al Marone interchanging, and it was enough. It was deadly. If they can get out on the run, right, and you can win the ball back, then you know, go for it. So, what do you think of the roster right now? Where's I'm just looking at this. I, I typed it out here. We got Gutman, Alex Dijon, Bryce Washington, Miles Robinson. Uh, Alan Franco, George Campbell, Hernandez, Lennon, Mulraney, Sosa, Ibarra, Ambrose, Alonzo's out for the season. Hyman is back. Sedic, we want to sell. <laughs> Josetu's out for a couple well, of weeks. Especially with Hyman back. What yeah. in the world would you possibly... Almada, Wiley. What happened to Chole? Is he just... Chole is still on the team, but he plays mostly with the twos. Right? All right, we got Moreno. Martinez is out for probably two months. Uh, Cisneros, uh, um, keep saying that wrong, Araujo, Dom Dwyer, <laughs> and Bobby Shuttleworth. We have two of the other backup keepers out. Shuttleworth. Who, um, I don't know, do you want to dive into any of those players that we even talked talked about? Um, what about Wiley? How about his run into the box? Wiley, you know, I mean, he looks every bit of 17, right? Fearless. Yeah. Loves to get out and run. Um, left-footed, quick, good feet. Um, you know, honestly, people say he's a left back, but he's probably one of those horrible converted, fo- you know, people who don't really know how to defend. We haven't seen it, so we don't yeah. know. So I, I'm, I'm just making this up. But why at that... If he's going to be left back, give him some time to mature and play them and whatever. For now, I love the idea, and then give all the credit to Pineda. Just throw him on yeah. as a winger, right? Awesome. I love seeing him on the field. Yeah, now. he's <laughs> great. I like it. Yeah, I would take him over Mulraney or, Len- yeah. or, Len- or Lennon. I just, yeah, I like the, I love the fearless just charge. Did you see what happened when Mulraney came on the field? No, I missed it. So, Mulraney came on the field as, I don't know, the 80th minute. It was pretty late. You know, we're looking for the goal against Cincy, you know, still 0-0 after missing the penalty kick, right? He puts him on at right midfield, okay? The first time, like within 30 seconds, he gets the ball on the right, and he has a guy one-on-one, and he doesn't ever want to go at him because he's so left-footed. So, he cuts the ball, he walks it in, and he ends up playing it square. With Pineda says, go over on the left. <laughs> he saw took one look at it and switched him, yeah. which, which which I've been saying all along, right? Mo Rainey on the right is the most worthless thing ever because what is Mo Rainey's strength? I mean, again, as a coach, you have to say to yourself, okay, what is this guy can do? 
right? Mo Rainey is limited speedy. in terms of creative, but he's strong and speedy, yeah. right? And so he is built to run at spaces, to run at yeah. a guy, right? Every, every time you see him, do, yeah, yes, he had that one inverted goal that was deflected off somebody. But yeah, when you see him dangerous, it's always on the left side. He gets down to the end line and he actually puts puts in some good crosses yeah uh, and 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 so he's comfortable there he's gonna go he's gonna open things up you know but why anybody would possibly think at this point to pull Marini yeah. on the right side is beyond me now Araujo has at least shown that he's willing to sometimes go right as an inverted winger yeah. and he is you know so classy that you know he, when he cuts in, you could see him occasionally making dream passes. He almost set up the Gutman goal cutting yep. in, right? Um, Moreno doesn't, uh, Mulraney doesn't do that, yep. right? So you're fine with, with Araujo cutting in and try to feed somebody. Mulraney, you don't want on the ball in the middle. Right. The only thing you want if he cuts the ball in the middle is give it to Almada or give it to Moreno. So the only other player maybe, uh, well, two players I'll bring up I'd like to talk about is Alan Franco. Mm. is not had a, the best 2022 so far, in my opinion. Nor has George Campbell in the last couple games, well, the last game more so. Mm. Um, I feel like he's losing his edge. And a lot of, between both of them, they make very silly mistakes sometimes. Like, Okay, but I'm giving you the evil eye because I know, I see who's going to criticize a defender in a shutout? Mikey Dobbs. We well, didn't give up a goal. Boy, did you see the one that uh, <laughs> that that we uh, basically let the? Who, why why am I blanking on his name? He's an ex Atlanta United. Oh, player. Vasquez. Okay, Vasquez. let's go. Let's go to the clip, right? So, <laughs> yeah. and of course, Carmen, being the genius that she is, has it pulled up. Uh, yeah, I don't know where right? George Campbell I'll set, is. In I'll this, set but... the set the stage. Twentieth minute, free kick. Right, Cincinnati's got a free kick. We have not just the stupid zonal corner kick marking, but we have the stupid zonal free kick marking. Um, and again, this is the hot thing in all of European soccer. It's stupid, Mikey Dobbs. Uh, and will. I'll tell you why in a second. But first of all, Pineda got to step up and stop saying, okay, the assistants, I let them do it, whatever. It's on you. You take it. Okay, so that's my one thing. Second thing is... So what they're doing is they're holding the top of the 18 and they have a line evenly, perfectly spaced every yard apart, right? right? And what that's supposed to do is to mean that everybody has their space and nobody can get free. The problem is everybody can get free because there's nobody to go around. You just pick a gap and go through it, yeah. right? There's nobody. So when you're going to stop one of these plays... You've got to body somebody up and make him at least go around you, make it difficult for him to get a stride, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Timing. Throw off their timing. So we don't do that. And our great friend, Brandon Vasquez, who's the leading scorer in the MLS, by the way. Oh, wow. Didn't know that. <laughs> I, I see How did we let him go? Yeah. Um, because of this play, you can see it. So <laughs> Cincinnati's going to feed the ball in. And here's my theory, Mikey Dobbs. Right? He still loves us. Yeah, he because does. that's the only possible explanation for him missing the goal is yeah. that he felt bad and he didn't want to score on his ex team. So we can play the clip. Watch how open he runs through the middle. I mean, he almost headed it towards the corner flag. <laughs> he headed it sideways. Yeah, that was not good. And the only worst opportunity missed was Gutman's uh, chance from about the same. Who got in the dying the, minutes, Gutman got over cute about right. it. But you know, my point being, um, why am 
Mikey Dobbs, why? But the, but that's their best chance of the game, and you can't blame George Campbell for the, the assistant coach coming up with a stupid zonal marking system. If he had to body someone up, he'd probably knock him over and be fine. No, I, I'm not blaming him for any of the set pieces. I, I agree there. I, I just, you know, again, your memory's better than mine. Might have some. Bad, I don't have might, any memory, but I'm just saying I might have some in the game. But I'm just looking at the score. <laughs> there's just some moments where it just felt like real dicey, and and definitely Alan Franco. Come on, like he's not had a gem of the season in terms of just making everybody feel feel really locked in at the back. I agree. I, again, the only guy that gives you that consistency is Miles Robinson, who just been a staple back there. So, I mean, obviously, you know, you, I, I'm not ready to give up on Alan Franco, but neither am even, I. Neither even am if I. it turns out that he doesn't settle in the center back, this is what coaches do. They say, okay, well, you know, he's a center back. And what, what is Alan Franco's weakness, right? His weakness is occasionally he's a little over aggressive, you know, and he, he gets cut out, whatever. But he's a pretty good one-on-one defender. He reads the game pretty well, right? So even if he turns out to not be so great in the center back, why not just move him into the midfield? Now, he's I, great on the ball. Look, I'm down on him right now just from what I'm observing, but I have all the belief in the world he's the right guy back there. Yeah, I certainly between um, being, Alan Franco and Campbell, we have a solution. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm being critical because I feel like they have not. Both of them have not had good moments in the last handful of but games. But you should be critical of the offense, Mikey Dobbs. What you mean the three goals that they haven't scored in the last three games? Right. Yeah, it's, it's not been good. <laughs> See, a zero is good for the defense and not so good yeah. for the offense. Right. Um, <laughs> so we've got a, uh, what a U.S. open cup game tomorrow night Yep, against Chattanooga. Is that game at Kennesaw? Where is that being played? At Kennesaw. Yeah. Oh. Why do they do that? Why is there no game at uh, Mercedes Benz? Give us the optimal chance to win. I think the argument is in the, first of all, so Mercedes Benz is super contracted for months and months in advance. Um, and it may be hard to schedule because nothing's going on in the Mercedes Benz tomorrow. There's always stuff going on. There's, there's like high school stuff and whatever. There's all kinds of crazy stuff anyway. Um, but even more than that, I think the idea is, look, they want people going to see the twos who play there. And by forcing the regular supporters to go out there and see what it's like and whatever, and have an experience, maybe they'll go see the twos. All right. Is what I think is the argument is. What else you got? Reaching the end end of the uh, the fire here. Should I put some more wood on the fire here? Definitely put some more wood on the fire. Um, I think we should go till the final clip of the game. Um, I know we're throwing a curveball in on Carmen, right? Yeah. But um, Gutman. <laughs> so Araujo comes on. He's out on the right side. He cuts into the left. It's the final dying seconds of the game. It's got to be the very end of the the absolute clip. After the red card, we're up for up a man as well, right? And Araujo plays a stunning ball across to Gutman, who comes in, and all he has to do is put it back where it came from. And instead of putting it back where it came from, he tries to do this Cinderella flick oh, yeah. to the far post. There it is. Here he goes. No, this oh, is, no, that's not it. This, I think it was before this, uh, a little bit before this. Yeah, it was right there because he kicked the uh, – Yeah, this that is line. it. This is it. He, <laughs> All uh, right, here we go. 
It's a beautiful ball by Araujo. He's I mean, wide open. That and was dancing Cinderella. I mean, he literally, you know, you know the the ones you see on YouTube where you hit it with your butt and put it in with your butt. Anything would have done. He a butt just shot run it into the goal. Yeah, just a butt shot would have been better than what he did. I mean, I always tell my players that um, when the ball is coming across, put it back where it came from. So if the ball came crossed in from the right. You just take your momentum and put it back because the goalkeeper is always coming across. And even if you put it a foot to his side, he can't react like that. That's the yeah. easiest thing to score. If you try to open up your body, you've got to perfectly time it, and your tendency is to miss wide just like that. There it is. So obviously, Gutman didn't have me as a that's, coach when he was That's getting. about as embarrassing as it gets. <laughs> All right. So that's it, Dave. What else we got? So, I mean, all right. So, let's say, you know, we're a third of the way into the season. Um, we talked about how, you know, it was not going to be good because of all the injuries. We got to win ugly. Um, in your opinion, did we do so? We're still in fourth. We're still in fourth, right? So, again, that's where I'm optimistic. Does that say anything about us or something about the league? It says a lot. It says a lot about the league, honestly. I mean, it just doesn't say the league is terrible. It says there's so much parity in the league, right? But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Mikey does. <laughs> yeah, we'll leave that one alone. I'm going to leave that one alone. But okay. I mean, we're definitely not hitting on all cylinders. That's for sure. We... Definitely haven't had the most consistent players out there to gel. That's my optimism is, you know, let's let's at least get some of the same players in the uh, the MAM or whatever we've got out there as, as our option. I said at the beginning of the year that the thing that was going to be our saving grace was I really think Araujo is class. Yeah. Um, and he sure showed it in the first 40 yeah. minutes of the season or 30, whatever, yeah, he well, survived. Almada is clearly class, too. He's, he's, the, class he's too. the real yeah. deal. And I would love, I'm so looking forward to Almada slipping in Araujo. It's going to happen over and over. Yeah. So the problem with, with, with Moreno. Um, by himself has been that he needs players in front of him to pass to Almada also. And the missing player has really been Araujo, who yeah. really can run. And, I mean, Moreno continues to make those curling long balls, like, in every game that yeah. I think people don't fully appreciate. It's amazing. So our next MLS game, though, is uh, against Inter-Miami, right? I believe so, yeah. And I think that's a way. Yep. So, I'm not going to Miami. Down in Beckham's. Yeah. Uh, down. As long as they don't use VAR when they don't have it, Mikey does. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, you really okay. had me. Con- you had me confused on that one because you're like, he went to the sideline. I was like, well, what's he looking at? He had to. Have yeah, nobody knew what he was looking at. <laughs> All right. On that note, fifth anniversary of VAR, people. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. This Take is care. ATL on fire. <laughs>